Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. Um, uh, hello, my name is Catherine and I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, so we're in chapter six into action of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it says, having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We have been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have done well in admitting these things to ourselves. There is data about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reasons first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Um, so we're in um, the the fourth step and the fifth step. So we've, we've already gotten through steps one, two, three, and four in the recovery program of Alcoholics Anonymous as outlined in this book. And it calls it the recovery program of Alcoholics Anonymous in the preface. So if you want to do the recovery program, if you are a sick, chronic, hopeless alcoholic, you will be working through this and you'll have determined that you're powerless over alcohol in your body. That means that when you start drinking you can't control how much you drink, and you're powerless over alcohol in your mind. That means that even when you're stone cold sober and you're completely sane, you do the craziest thing you've ever done, which is you pick up a drink, even though you know at some level you're not going to be able to control your drinking afterward. Um, something in your mind just goes haywire, and you think that picking up that drink is a good idea for some reason. Maybe you don't think at all. Maybe you think, oh, I don't care anyway, so my life's not worth it, so I'm just going to drink anyway, which is also not true and a crazy thought Um, and a symptom of of mental illness, which is what alcoholism is. And um, so you'll have figured that out, understood that there's nothing on this earth that can keep you sober. So that's part of step two, (laughs) Uh, that may be a power greater than yourself could fix it. Maybe, um, maybe you're cool with God. Maybe you're not doesn't matter. As long as you think maybe there's a God that can help, then you check off step two, step three, made a decision to do the recovery program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what's outlined in this book. That's the rest of the steps, not as described in a placard on a wall. That's like an outline, but the actual detail of the steps, which is what we're going through right now. Um, after you make that decision, you launch into step four, Um, so you do that really quickly and step four is just a list of the people you don't like, uh, the fears you have and you, the people you've harmed with your sex conduct, not all of the people you've been involved with in your entire life. 
um, just the people you've harmed. And you've looked at where your faults were and all of that. Um, maybe you haven't seen it all. Maybe you have. Uh, part of the reason that we do this with another person is because I could sit there and be mad at everybody and think the world is everybody else's fault and never even consider that maybe I had some role in that um, as long as I'm by myself. But if I have another person there, they might help me see the truth about it. I need another person to help me be accountable. Um, my brain is a little weird like that. Um, and I think other people's brains might be too. Uh, so basically the goal of the fourth and the fifth step is right there in that first line. We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. The obstacles in our path are what's blocking us off from God. If this power that's greater than us is going to keep us sober, we have to figure out what's keeping that power from helping us. Um, in step two, we find out that the power is actually located within us but that we're the ones that are blocking ourselves off from it. Uh, that's in chapter four. Um, now these are about to be cast out. That's a, that's a promise. That's a big deal. But it requires action on our part. So we have to discuss this with another person, not just any person. We'll go over that in just a second. Which, when completed, will mean we have admitted to God. God already knows, by the way. <laughs> God knows everything, uh, whether you believe in God or you don't ourselves i already know but i'm the most dishonest with myself and to another human being which is going to keep me accountable the exact nature of my defects um not what everybody else did not all the details just what what i did wrong um before i did this i didn't even know what the defects meant i really needed somebody else to walk me through it to understand what that meant um it goes through why we have to do this because it's, it's not something that a lot of people just like want to do. Not, not really. Or if they think they want to do it, they usually don't totally understand what it means or they haven't done it before. Actually, I take that back because if you've done it before, usually you want to do it again, even though you don't like it, which sounds weird. <laughs> it's sort of like a really deep tissue massage where you're like, I know this is going to be painful, but I, I'm going to feel really, really good afterward. Um, it, it's, it's amazing, but if you go into this thinking, oh, this is going to be great. It's not going to be great. It's going to be hard, but it's amazing. You'll see things in a new way that are awesome. It tells us the best reason why we need to do this. If I don't do it, I'm going to get drunk. And it tells us that out of their experience. And I've seen this over and over again, where somebody has withholding, withheld things on their fourth step or in their fifth step. And they've gone out and gotten drunk again and then come back and been like, yeah, you know what? I didn't tell you about this thing. Um, it, and it happens all the time. And uh, the other thing that happens is that they refuse to see what they did wrong in the, in the fourth column. They want to keep talking about what everybody else did wrong, remain a victim, talk about how wrong the world is, but refuse to look at what they did wrong. And then they end up getting drunk. Um, that doesn't mean that they're a bad person or, or they're, you know, or terrible or anything. It just means that they're, you know, they may or may not be ready. And it's usually a first, a, a step one issue. You get beaten up by alcohol enough. You're willing to look at everything. As painful as it may be, that doesn't mean that you get, you start this process and you're just like, Oh yeah, sure. Tell me about how terrible I am. It's still a hard process, but um, I see that too. 
Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wonder why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. God won't take what you won't give up. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty. The honesty is a really big part here. Um, it takes humility and fearlessness to be truly honest with yourself and another person. And I didn't know what those words meant until I really got through this recovery program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought I did, but I didn't. Um, in the sense, we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. So my sponsor had me read this, but replaced the alcoholic with my name or I. So I would read it like this was before I did my fifth step. So we read through all of these instructions right before I did my fifth step. It says, so we would read it. More than most people, Catherine leads a double life. She is very much the actor. To the outer world, Catherine presents her stage character. This is the one she likes her fellows to see. She wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in her heart she doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things she does on her sprees. Coming to her senses, she is revolted at certain episodes she vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. She trembles to think someone might have observed her. As fast as she can, she pushes these memories far inside herself. Catherine hopes they will never see the light of day. Catherine is under constant fear and tension that makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. No kidding. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor we have followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance of recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to be live long or happily in this world. It doesn't say stay sober. It just says live long or happily in this world. Um, and just somebody, that's one person. That's not like a room full of alcoholics at a discussion meeting. That's one person. I don't need to go into um, a meeting of alcoholics and dump my shit on them. My job when I go to meetings is to help other alcoholics, not dump my shit on them, if that makes sense. I need to swear less because every time I swear, they give us an explicit rating in the app store. Not in the app store, in the podcast thing. Sorry. <sighs> my job in meetings is to help people not to be helped. I'm no longer a newcomer. Um, so I, I dump my, my stuff on my sponsor. Um, and she loves it. She's told me so. <laughs> uh, rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose this person. So it's not just anybody. Because like I can find people to dump my stuff on and they'll be like, yes, you poor thing. They're so awful. Everybody's awful. Even though like I'm, it's like that Reddit thing where it's like, are you the asshole? Like I'm the asshole, right? Often. But like I'll, I can find other people to tell me constantly that like you poor thing. Yeah, that's terrible. Those people are terrible. When really over and over again, I'm the asshole. I have to find the right person who's going to understand what I'm up to. Um, Rightly and naturally, we think well, we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. And everything that's said in a fifth step stays in a fifth step. I don't repeat what people tell me in a fifth step unless it's something that I ask them, hi, I don't know how to handle this. I need to talk to my sponsor about it. Is that okay? We're on page 74. Um, and 
And if they say it's okay, then I can talk to my sponsor about it. And that's it. Um, those of us belonging to a religious denomination, which requires confession, must and, of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. That's cool, too. I do it in addition to doing my fifth step with my sponsor. I've done this with a Catholic priest. It was pretty awesome. I got forgiven for everything by Jesus. Highly recommend if you're Catholic. If you're not Catholic, I'm sure there's other stuff you can do, but it was pretty neat. Um, Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. That is far more likely, though, that you're going to find somebody who doesn't understand an alcoholic and doesn't understand what we're up to. Um, If we cannot or would would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed-mouth understanding friend, perhaps our doctor or psychologist. We'll be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or parents, which would hurt them or make them unhappy. We have no, this is a rule that applies no matter what. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand yet be ineffective. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. There is no point in this program where it says you have, you have to tell somebody you care about about some horrible thing so that you can get sober. That is not true. If it's going to hurt them, that is, that is absolutely not the case. Nowhere in this book do they need to understand the pain that you went through so you can get sober. They don't need to do anything. My alcoholism has been their problem for so long. My job is to make it not their problem. Um, if it's going to hurt them, then it's off the table. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated there is no suitable person available. Yet this is highly unlikely. I had a sponsor who was in the Navy, and she made an example of when when she was on on a ship. There was probably an alcoholic there who could have heard her fifth step. So highly unlikely you're going to be in a place where there's not somebody to hear your fifth step who is an alcoholic who knows what they're doing. Um, If that is so, the step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. So they wrote all of this back when they first wrote the book, before there were like AA groups on every corner and and recovered alcoholics all over. So you could find someone who knew how to hear a fifth step or somebody to sponsor you. They would mail out the book to people so people could work the steps and start AA groups or find other people to sponsor on their own. Um, that doesn't really apply now, not to us. Um, but the instructions are really helpful for us with some of the things it says about um, being hard on ourselves but considerate to others. Uh, and then a number of times it says complete readiness to go through at the very first opportunity. Um, And it talks about how quickly we need to do this. So it is very important that you be able to keep a confidence. So your sponsor should be able to keep this all to themselves, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plan. That's what the AA recovery program as outlined in this book is, but we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have a written inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. So my 
fifth steps for me, I think shouldn't take more than like two or three hours. If they take longer than that, you're spending far too much time at talking about what other people did to you and not what your defects are. Um, it should, after a time, start kind of rolling into patterns where you can start to see like, oh, this is like that other thing when I caused this problem by, you know, behaving like this. Um, it, it shouldn't take that long to hear a fifth step. If it is, you're just, you as an alcoholic doing the fifth step, not hearing the fifth step, but doing the fifth step or talking about yourself or like what other people did too much, too much details, not defects. We're here to talk about defects. Um, we explain to our partner what we're about to do and why we have to do it. So my, my sponsor made me do this when I did my first fifth step. She said, now you have to tell me what we're about to do and why we have to do it. Nobody ever gets this question right. <laughs> Everybody always bumbles it. But the answer is we're about to go over my fifth step. Um, it's basically the answer is we're about to like discover my defect so that I don't die. The answer is basically just so that I don't die. That's the answer. That's it. Um, he should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. So it answers the question in the next sentence. Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. We pocket our pride and go to it. The more we can eliminate, eliminate emotion from a fifth step, the more um, instructive and uh, worthwhile it's going to be. Of course, that's hard to do when you're talking about like character defects. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to nearly feel the nearness of our creator. These are all the fifth step promises. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now have um, now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the street problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We will feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand in the spirit of the universe. I read these at first when I did my fifth step because I felt like crap after my fifth step. And I was like, this is bull crap. Like none of these happened to me. But I was focusing on like, oh, we can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. But what, what really happened was we began to feel the nearness of our creator. I didn't really believe in God before my fifth step. And then after my fifth step, I did. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't stay sober this whole time on my own. Um, we may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but we now begin to have a spiritual experience. Like that happened for me and my fifth step. Um, so parts of these started coming true right as I did my fifth step. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, these promises tied to the steps happen as the steps happen. Um, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, but they happen as the steps happen. Returning home, these are more instructions for the fifth step. We find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we've done. So my sponsor informed me that, no, I could not go watch the Cowboy game with my family who was in town. <laughs> After I did my fifth step with her, that I, in fact, did have to go straight home and do my hour. And then I could go hang out with my family, even though my family was visiting from out of town and I never got to see them. This program comes first, period, above everything else. Um, I was shocked by that, but that was how it had to be. Returning home, we find a place we can be quiet for an hour for the most uncomfortable hour of my life. Um, and I did all of these things. I reviewed what I'd done. That was in my fifth step. I thank God from the bottom of my heart that I knew, knew him better. I took the book, taking the book down from our shelf, we turned to the page, which contains the 12 steps. That's page 58, 59, carefully reading the first five proposals. That's the first five steps. 
We ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimp, skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? So it's okay if I forget things, but I can't knowingly omit things. Um, if we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now willing to let God remove from us? So when I get to the end of the hour, I do immediately step six and seven. So I'm doing five, six, and seven all within the same few hours. Um, we've emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all of the things which we have admitted are objectionable? But the answer is usually no. Because the things that I use, like my selfishness, my dishonesty, usually get me stuff for me or they protect my ego or, or whatever, even if they're at the expense of others. So I, I don't always want to let them go at once. But some of the stuff I'm ready. And the stuff that I'm not ready, it gives me a prayer. And it says, can he now take them all, everyone? And do I believe that God can? Is he, do I believe that God is all powerful? If we still cling to something he will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. I say that prayer. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. God gets everything, not just the bad parts. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. And we're just getting ready for the rest of these. Um. I mean, we kind of got a late start, so I think I'm just going to keep going for a little bit as fast as I can. So um, now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead, which so am I. If I don't have faith, then I am going to die because I'm going to drink again. Now let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of persons we have harmed with to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning we'd go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. We agreed to this on page 58. Um, I try to get my sponsees to do their eight-step list the same day that we do their fifth step. So five, six, seven, and eight all in the same day. You got momentum. I don't want you to stop. And then we'll go over it the next time we get together. Um, and that means you do, you do step one when you're still drinking. Step two and three are a question and a decision. Step four is a list that you make, you know, at most I'll give you a week and then five, six, seven, and eight all happen on the same day. Once you start doing nine, you can start doing 10 and 11. And then once you start getting the spiritual experience, you start doing 12. This stuff can happen pretty fast and it should because you're dying and we don't want you to die. And also there are other people out there dying and they need help. So let's get you out there and get you working. Um, probably there are some misgivings, no kidding. As we look over the list of business acquaintances of friends, we have heard we may feel diffident. That means like not feel real keen on going about going to them on a spiritual basis, let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our approach. We might prejudice them. At this point, 
At this moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not at the end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. Um, so our amends has nine pages of instruction. It is really easy for amends to go wrong. It gives us a couple of big rules on this page that you need to meet before you do an amends. The third rule is going to be to discuss it with your sponsor before you do it. And the fourth one is going to be to pray. Um, don't ever try to make an amends without running to buy your sponsor first. Uh, it says, uh, it is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice in him and announce we have gone religious. Could you imagine? Like somebody stole a bunch of money to you and they come to you and they're like, okay, but I have God now. You would be like, are you kidding? Where's my money? I don't care. Um, at the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves being open, open to being branded fanatics or religious bores. Even if you came with the money, like you want to make sure you put yourself in a position to be helpful in the future. So you don't want them to be like, okay, but yeah, she, she came to me with the money, but she's crazy. So just don't talk to her again. Um, we may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discovery. So this is the first condition. I have to have a sincere desire to set right the wrong. If I don't have that, if I don't sincerely want to set right what I did, I can't go make an amends. Um, even if I still hate the person, as long as I want to set right what I did, then I'm good. Um, we don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When, when it will serve any good purpose, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial. So my, my first sponsor told me to um, make our amends in the order that they're listed in the book. So the first one is going to be somebody I hate, which is pretty great. And um, my sponsors now do that. It is pretty awesome. I highly recommend it. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. This is the second condition. I have to have a helpful and forgiving spirit. Um, under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. So these are our specific directions for um, making amends. We have to say, I will never get over drinking until I um, straighten out the past. Uh, I never criticize or argue. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until I do so. Never telling him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we'll be gratified with the results. That is a promise. Um, at the top of page 77, it says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us, about the amends. And um, the amends process taught me so much about not just how to, like, not just the process of cleaning up what I did in the past, but it gave me a skill set that I use to this day and how to, how to work with people. And I learned so much about how my actions affect other people and um, how to interact with people to this day. And it's pretty great. Um, I'm going to hand it off to Emmy now because I've gone over and um, Emmy is 
awesome on the men's stuff. So she'll have some awesome stuff to say. Thank you, Emmy. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. Uh, my name is Emmy. I am a recovered alcoholic. Correct. I don't say my last name because we're recording. All right. Okay. Got it. All right. Um, all right. So here we are. Uh, nine cases out of 10. Is that where we are? Okay. Just want to make for certain. All right. This is so cool. Um, I literally experienced these next sentences. Um, in nine cases out of 10, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own fault. So feuds of your standing melt away in an hour. I had, uh, like Kat was saying, we, um, I, I went to a woman who I hated. She hated me. The last time I saw her, um, like a decade before, she, she was like, if I see you again, I will punch you in the face. Literally. And um, I, I reached out to her, didn't think she was even going to respond. We, she did. We met. One hour passed in a Starbucks and feuds of those years melted away. Um, she had two years sobriety, so discovered we were sobriety sisters. And um, we have, uh, uh, it, it's, it was, it was amazing. I, when I walked out, I looked at my watch and I was like, it, it's been one hour. That is, I was amazed. Anyway. So, uh, smelt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. That sounds pretty good. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well. I've had, um, I've had amends to make to many past employers because I drank my way out of many jobs. I just didn't show up because who wants to show up when I'm really busy at home drinking myself to death? Um, but I've had past employers, um, this guy was like, well, where, what are you doing? Where are you working? Do you need some hours? And I'm like, wait, no, did you? Okay. Anyway, like, I'm like, are you crazy? Cause I thought I was, um, but they wish us well. Occasionally they will offer assistance. There you go. It should not matter. However, if someone does throw us out of his office, we've made our demonstration done our part. Uh, it's water over the dam. Um, I called the St. Louis PD, uh, explained what I wanted to do. And the officer said, uh, thank you, ma'am. Just doing our job. Click. And I was like, oh, I, I need to make an amends to the, no. I called my sponsor. She said, Emmy, it's water of the dam. You made your demonstration. Next. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Most alcoholics owe money. All right. So after we make amends to some, the man we hate, looks like we're going to do some, some financial amends. Um, so, yeah, most alcohol. I love that they, they give us that little grace. Most alcohols, I venture to say the majority, if not all, owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. Remember, my, my phone will even tell, my, my phone tries to dodge. It's like, oh, potential spam. I answer it because I don't dodge people today. Telling them what we're trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. Remember back in the fifth step promises, it says our fears fall from us or start to fall from us. I'm not, I'm not experiencing fear uh, the way that I used to, especially when I use that good old fear prayer back in the fourth step, right? So um, approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Not always. It does say sometimes. It says, arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors, not optional. 
uh, no matter how far we have to go, for we're liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. Frankly, the money in my pocket ain't worth my sobriety. Not today, sister. Perhaps we have committed a criminal offense, which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. Aha, uh -huh, yes. I was just telling a, a, fr a friend last night. Um, I, I, went, I went next door to make amends to the grocery store, not once, but twice for stealing uh, handles of vodka. I... You know, the first time I was like, this is okay. Ask for the store manager. This is what I did. He said, oh, oh, are, are you okay? And I'm like, what? Um, yes, I'm, I'm okay. How are you? Um, the second time I, I had relapsed and I had done it again. And I was like, I'm going to jail. If I go to, I'm go I just, I just got a new job. I was supposed to, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go sit in jail for 30 days. Again, when Face was sitting in jail for 30 days versus drinking again, I was willing to go into that store and I got the same manager. I was like, dang, man. But I told him, and this time he was like, well, did you, did you want to pay for it? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. Here's my $12. And, and that was it. And he's super, like, I can go into that store now and shop and not worry. I, my fears are, they're gone, bro. It's good. Anyway, criminal offense. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We've already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. Hey, man, if these are any of your troubles, they made it into the big book. It's like the huge, like you're, it ain't special. If it's in the big book, like we all been there, done it, or a lot of us have, don't like, calm down. It's in the big book. It tell, it literally tells you what to say. Um, you know, like when, when I have those creditors call me, I literally say, I am sorry. My drinking has made me slow to pay. Like it's a script. It's so cool. Um, anyway, common form of trouble. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. I always think of like Pirates of the Caribbean where Jeffrey Rush is like, oh, they're more like guidelines. And I'm like, oh, okay. But it's really, I, I'm like, guidelines are good. I need that. It's like the bumpers on the pool, the bowling lane. I need those to keep me in line. But anyway, reminding ourselves that I've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. And this is the second time in the eighth and ninth step. They've reminded us, you said you were willing to go to any lengths. Like, were you lying or are we on par here? So, cause they know this is a tough road to hoe. Like I used to think I really did that. Oh yeah. I'm so excited to go make amends. Cause I feel so good after and it's good juju and yeah, karma. Woohoo. I have since found some amends are not super happy, fun time for me or, or you know, it's, and guess what? It's not about me. Surprise of my life. It is about that person. Um, yeah, I, I, Ugh, I went to a past neighbor and um, because when I drank, I fall all over. I live by myself, I, but I fall all over. I'm upstairs and I create a lot of noise. Emergency vehicles usually are called. 
Anyway, I went to her and she was like, yeah, you were the worst neighbor I ever had. And it did not feel good. But guess what? It goes on to say, we, uh, it gives us a prayer because anywhere this book says we ask, that's a prayer. Pretty cool. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. Um, and you know, I have heard many people say, oh yes, the ninth step, when we make amends, we, we, we don't want to harm ourselves though. We, we want to, we want to stay safe. Bullsh. That blows that out of the water. The ninth step, when it is in its back on, you know, the, the outline on 59, it says, uh, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. That didn't mention any. Um, it says we, so we may lose our position, like our job or reputation or face jail, but we're willing. We have to be, we must not shrink at anything. Um, you know, I blew through, I blew, I blew through countless jobs, mostly because I just was like, peace, I'm out. But this past last, last year, I blew through two jobs straight by my drinking directly. Like, cause I ended up in the psych ward. I couldn't, couldn't make it to work. My, anyway, I lost two jobs, bam, bam, right in a row. I'm like, I'm not going to get a job. Like my, how is that even going to happen? My sponsor said, Emmy, you're going to go, you're going to tell your prospective employer what happened, that you are doing everything you can now to make sure it doesn't happen again, that you're, you know, you know, make an explanation. And so again, because I was willing, because I was like, damn, if I ever drink again, I'll, I'll, it'll be too soon. I went into an interview and I sat down across from this lady, never met her in my life. And, uh, she, you know, did some, anyway, she, I said, yeah, I, I used to work for this place and that place. And, uh, due to my drinking, I, I couldn't, I, I was very, very sick and, um, I was really struggling. You know, I've, I've really, uh, turned around and I am doing everything I can to stay recovered today. And I'd like to show you that I can do well. She kind of blinked and said, okay, well, let's give you a tour. And I, did you hear? I, anyway, I, I've been working there for almost six months now. And she is, she, she pulled me into the office a couple months in and was like, I just wanted to tell you what a great attitude you have. You're really bringing things up around. I'm like, this does not ha happen in Emmy's life. Like Emmy gets pulled into the principal's office to say, listen, Emmy, you really slack. Like this is anyway. It's insane what happens when I just do what I'm told by this book. Again, as Catherine explained, the AA recovery program as outlined in this book. Yeah, I'm learning a lot. And anyway, we must not shrink at anything. I'm trying to look at the time here. Usually, however, other people are involved. Oh, those other people. Therefore, we are not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save herself from the alcoholic pit, a man we know had remarried because of resentment and drinking. Uh, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court, got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics had he walked up to the judge and said, here I am. 
like Jean Valjean and Les Mis, right? Ah, anyway, we thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did and also sent a small amount of money because we, we, again, faith without works is dead. We got to show up with some action, like not just words, okay? Uh, he told her what he would try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course, she did not. And the whole situation has long since been adjusted. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, asked God to help, that's an important part, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. It's one of those pesky musks. Okay, musks. This brings to mind a story about one of our friends while drinking. He accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the guy. He thus used his own wrong, wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. Man, what a butthead, right? He felt, because uh, I haven't done anything like that ever. That's a lie. He felt he'd done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon it? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. Again, I am not in the results business, man. I am in the, I take the action, the results are up to HP, higher power, God, Buddha. I don't care what you call it. God. So after, where did I go? He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up, made an explanation. His action met widespread approval. And today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. Chances are that we have domestic troubles. All right, we're on to domestic troubles, okay. Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. Man, um, uh, I, yeah, I was mixed up with everybody and their brother. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. Okay, so this is a common, common problem. Okay. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic wife, gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely and sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. They're talking about sex. If anyone's as daft as me, talking about sex. Perhaps he's going to have a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl. Is literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that, uh, that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. Ugh. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. 
We are sorry for what we've done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. Oh, man. I was sitting outside the 24-hour, the old 24-hour club before it got rebuilt. This was a little little bit of time ago. And uh, I was on the phone with my grandpa, who's here in St. Louis, where I've moved back to now. And I remember saying, yeah, grandpa, I really hope I'll be able to visit you sometime soon. You know, God willing. <laughs> and my grandpa drops the mic. He goes, oh, Emmy, God's willing. Are you? And I was like, oh, snap, grandpa. How'd you? <laughs> Grandpa's dropping truth bombs today. God is willing, Emmy. Are you? Oh, golly, man. He's still got that snarky sense of humor, but he meant it. Okay. God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as the husband. If we can forget, so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. And perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it. Having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Holy cow, who does that? Apparently me now, like this is what it's telling me. I got to think about you first, not Emmy. Going to think about the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. And keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk a face-to-face combat. And I was told flank means like from the side. So I don't know. I think of like the side hug. Like right now we got COVID and last night somebody wanted to hug me at a meeting. And I was like, here, I'll, I'll kind of give you a side hug. Like that's how I roll. I was like, uh, okay. I don't know if that makes any sense. Anyway, if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Um, and um, right now, I've recently in my morning meditation been reading from right here on page 82, trying to read through chapter seven. But um, this is good stuff is what I'm saying. Uh, there's plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing she needs to do is keep sober. Certainly she must. And I usually put my name in like Catherine was saying. I, I, I put my name in because it speaks to me. I say, certainly Emmy must keep sober for there will be no home if she doesn't. She's yet a long way from making good to my mom and dad, whom for years I have so shockingly treated. And this is talking about spouse, too. Wife or parents, whom for years she has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience that mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homestay, would perhaps be dead. And the way I read that to myself is, Emmy would have no homestay and would very likely be dead. Like, really, my mother, a uh, year and a half ago, whatever, lent me the, the deposit on this apartment. I literally would have no home. Like, I couldn't get into sober. I was like, fluff, just twisting in the wind. Not good times. And it's cold outside in St. Louis. I don't like it. Living in my car is not super. And then my car gets stolen. These are things that happen to me. I'll tell you about it later. Emmy, is like, or the alcoholic, is like a tornado roaring her way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. This sounds really visceral, like bad times. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. I emphasize that because it does not say Jack Daniels. Selfish and inconsiderate habits. 
We feel a woman is unthinking when she says that sobriety is enough. She's like the farmer who came up out of a cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, ball. And a grand, the wind stopped blowing. That's the alcoholic thinking. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. Oh, look, we're to the family now and our amends. Look at that. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. We're the, eh. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. 17 plus times in this book does it say, avoid criticism like the plague. And let me tell you, I found out that when the plague was actually happening, people used to burn ships into the sea, cargo in them when there was plague discovered aboard. Avoided like the plague, like I'm like a cat, like, like, no, no criticism. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are my own actions are partly responsible. Ugh. So we clean house with the family asking each morning, and here's your family prayer, um, that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And I use this for my coworkers and everybody, like family especially, but God, please show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. I see Catherine just messaged me something, so I need to check it out real quick. Like, do, 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 do. Okay, no worries. All righty. Um, look at that. And they put that in uh, the italicized print, which is our 1939 version of the highlighter, right? We have to live it because drunks shelled out more money to change the printing press and put that in italics for us. They didn't get to... Control I, they didn't have that. They had to pay more money, change printing press. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time, uh, in their own way, by the way, not to my thinking. It's about them, that's between them and God. My behavior will convince them more than my words. I must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone, right? There may be some wrongs we can never fully write. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Like, it is not useful to others if I'm sitting around fretting about, man, I'll never be able to make amends to Mandy. She she passed away. I'm so upset. Oh, man, that, that, that's wasting time. Um, I would write it if I could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And let me tell you, they had telephones then. They had, uh, you know, what is that called? When they, um, some words, some words, stop. Some words, some words, stop. They could send a telegram. They could send a telegram. Um, this says we write an honest letter. Um, and there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. Girl, with this COVID, I have been writing letters like a madman. Like I wrote a letter addressed to the nurses at the ER because I don't know their names, um, but I owed them amends. I remember vaguely knocking pills out of this nurse's hand because I was like, I don't like that. And I was half drunk, but I wrote them an honest letter. And their supervisor sent me a card back. I was like, well, this is unexpected. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, 
So we should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. Now check this stuff out. These are the ninth step promises. I cannot emphasize that enough. And also, this is what booze used to do for me. When I read this uh, with the words at first with a few drinks in front of them, makes a lot of sense. But the book goes on. If we're painstaking about this phase of our development, and I, I had to look up that word painstaking, it means very careful and detailed. Very careful, detailed. We'll be amazed before we're halfway through with our amends, please. We are going to know, and I, I just, I met a woman years and years ago. She was so angry because none of these had manifested for her. Well, she wasn't at her ninth step. Of course not. She was not in her amends. Of course they did not manifest. Anyway, beat that dead horse. All right, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We'll comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale I went, I saw how my experience could benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappeared. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking slipped away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Does that sound like a spiritual experience? Sounds pretty good to me. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. Oh, man, I want that. Come on. Need some economic insecurity fear to leave me. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They're being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They'll always materialize if we work for them. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to, to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. Okay, as I clean up my past, as I'm in step nine, I do, you know, an amends, two, three. I'm going to dive on into step 10. Sounds good. We've entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. All right, so that tells me how long a lifetime. Continue, okay, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, not if, when, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately, make amends quickly if I've harmed anyone. Then I resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help. I can go open the door for people at the grocery store next door. I can run on down to the Hampton Club and, and find a drunk to work on. Come on. Love and tolerance of others is my code. And here's your 10 step promises, sisters. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. If you're still fighting, look at your 10th step. For by this time, sanity will have returned. For me, it became present for the first time in my life. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil as from a hot flame. Pardon me. Back on page 24, says we ain't got enough sense to keep from slamming our hand down on a hot stove. This much amount of work, what is that, 60 pages or something? I don't know. It says we recoil as from a hot flame. 
We react sanely and normally, and we'll find this has happened automatically. We'll see our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. Remember that promise back on page 45? This solves all my problems. It does not exist for me. I'm neither cocky nor am I afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react. Oh, so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. If I took a shower yesterday, is that good enough for today? I still so fresh, so clean? Maybe. No, Catherine, no, it's not. It's not enough. <laughs> I got to I gotta shower every day. Got to work on the spiritual health every day. So it says we're headed for trouble if we do. Alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. I am a recovered alcoholic because I do not think about alcohol. I do not not like I don't think about how am I going to get a drink. I don't think how I'm not going to get a drink. The monkey chatter in my brain has shut the F up. It is gone. I'm not cured of alcoholism because I am always an alcoholic. Once a pickle, I I can't go back to being no cucumber. Um, If I took a drink. Right here, now, today, be off to the races, it'd be ugly. No good. Wear a helmet, it gets rough. What we really have is a daily reprieve, which is a stay of execution. My life has been on the line. I have certainly been on death row. Now I've got this stay of execution. It's contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And every day is a day when I must carry the vision of God's will into all of my activities. There's your 24 hours at a time every day day when I uh, carry the vision of God's will into all of my activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with me constantly. Only thing I do constantly is like blink and breathe in and out. So this must go with me constantly too. We can exercise our willpower along this line. All we wish it is the proper use of the will. All right. God can, God does not do for us what I can do for myself. Thank God that my sanity has been returned, right? So much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from God who has all knowledge and power. If we've carefully followed directions, we've begun to sense the flow of God's spirit into us. To some extent, we've become God conscious. We've begun to to develop this vital sixth sense, vital, life-giving if I have it, life-threatening if I don't. But we must go further, and that means more action. Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer Better people than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It'd be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. When we retire at night, because like Catherine said, she goes five, six, seven, eight. This chapter, 16 pages, does steps five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Bam, son. Move on. Like, let's get through it. I want to get to freedom. Let's do it. So we're ending at night like i'm pretty tired i want to go to bed let's do step 11 says when i retire at night i constructively review my day that means like helpfully constructive was i resentful selfish dishonest or afraid was do i owe an apology have i kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once was i kind and loving toward all what could i have done better was i thinking of myself most of the time or was i thinking of what i could do for others of what i could pack into the stream of life But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection. That would diminish my usefulness to others. After making my review, I ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. On awakening, woohoo, in the morning. 
Let us think about the 24 hours ahead because I ain't future tripping anymore. Let's go. We consider our plans for the day. Consider my plans because inevitably I get a phone call. I get a text message. Emmy, we need you down at the Hampton Club. Come on. All right. What, what's happening? We got a drunk. Okay, let's go. Before I begin, I ask God to direct my thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, I can employ my mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when my thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about my day, I may face indecision, may not be able to determine which course to take. Here, I ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought a decision. I relax and take it easy. I don't struggle. In step 11, in prayer and meditation, <coughs> is where I don't struggle and I relax and take it easy. <coughs> Excuse me. We're often surprised how the right answers come after I've tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch, the occasional inspiration, gradually becomes a working part of the mind, being still and experienced, and having just made conscious contact with God is not probable. We're going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what my next step is to be that I be given whatever I need to take care of such problems. This is my like culminating prayer, right? I ask especially for freedom from self-will to be careful to make no request for myself only to ask for myself. However, if others will be helped, we're careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. And many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that. Doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination, which requires a definite morning devotion. We tend to that also. I've got a little Christian book I like to read. I've got a little Taoist book I like to read. I do it together with this. Not one or the other, together. Uh, let's see. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we've been discussing. There are many helpful books also and suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right and make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause. That's a tough one. I'm going to be working on that for a long time. When agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. And sometimes when I pause, I will, I will physically do a 180, like pivot, turn myself. I, somehow that's helpful. I constantly remind myself I am no longer running the show. I'm not a showrunner anymore. Humbly saying to myself many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of, here's some promises, woohoo, excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily for not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. Here's the shortest paragraph in the book. It works. It really does. We alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the simple way we just outlined. But this is not all. Oh, snap. Here they come. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. Thank you for listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA world services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com.